chapter 4 is where we're going to be. If you're ready to dive into God's Word, would you say amen? amen? And we are more than halfway through our study in the book of Galatians, only a few weeks left, and we have been talking about how we have been set free. Anybody thankful for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ as followers of Him? And that's what this book is really all about. And today we're going to pick up in chapter number 4, and we concluded chapter 3 last week. And we're going to start reading in verse number one of Galatians chapter four. The Bible says this. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Anybody thankful that God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfectly sinless life, to die on the cross for our sins when the fullness of the time was come to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. What a wonderful and beautiful promise that is. No more a servant, but a son. Verse 8. Howbeit then, when we knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. He says, you've made a wrong turn. Verse 10. Ye observe days and months and times and years, talking about uh, this uh, religious uh, cycle. And, and I'm afraid of you, verse 11, lest I have bestowed bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness he spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been Possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. But it is a good thing to zealously, to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. By the way, that's the goal, to be more like Christ, to keep on uh, moving forward in the process of sanctification, not to become uh, just better version of ourselves, but to be more like Jesus Christ, to be formed into his image. That is the goal. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Let's have a word of prayer together today. God, thank you so much for this time that you've given us to come together to study your word. God, thank you for 
uh, just everyone that is represented in this room, everyone that is watching online today. And God, we just pray that we would be able to have a holy focus on your word. God, I pray that whatever uh, baggage we might be carrying, carrying into the service today, that we would be able to put that aside. God, I pray that we would be able to focus on your word and that we would be able to glean truths that we can apply to our lives today in this moment, throughout this week, that would ultimately change our lives for all of eternity. And God, we pray that we would have an understanding of what it looks like to live a life that is 100% wholly committed to following you. God, I pray that there would be some followers of Jesus today that would determine that they are not going to turn back. A mindset that says no turning back. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, this past week, Katie and I were traveling uh, to a wedding that was near San Francisco. And so we decided to head into San Francisco and to kind of check out some of the sites there. And uh, we had a short time there, but I wanted to maximize our time. And so I was trying to look up all the famous places in San Francisco to try to go and look at all of them. And to be honest, I was paying more attention to the sites and, and the surroundings than I was the actual street signs. And uh, that was making Katie a little bit nervous. And she kept on kind of uh, telling me uh, that I needed to pay more attention to the lights and to the signs. And, and I was trying to get acclimated to city driving. And uh, she was constantly kind of telling me some things. And, and I said, I got this, I got this. And I had my uh, GPS open and I was kind of just following where I was supposed to go on that GPS. And and for a second, I kind of looked away from that GPS, and I thought, I got this. I, I kind of know where I'm going. I saw a street that looked kind of familiar. And so I turned down that street, and I said, this doesn't look so familiar anymore. And then I saw uh, several cars headed right in my direction, and I realized that I had made a wrong turn down a one-way street. And uh, they were all honking at me, and I just did what California drivers do. I just honked back at them. You know, No, I didn't honk back at them. Uh, but they're all honking at me, and people on the side of the street, literally, we saw them laughing at us as I made this like awkward seven point turn to kind of get back uh, in the right direction and uh, everything was going well until I made that wrong turn. I think that could adequately summarize what is taking place in the book of Galatians. Everything was going well for these churches until they made a wrong turn. And in Galatians chapter 4, Paul talks about this turn, and it wasn't just a wrong turn. It was a complete 180. It was a complete U-turn heading in the complete wrong direction. They started out well, but then they turned, and they went back to an old lifestyle. They went back to an old religious system, and they went back to what they were familiar with. And Paul describes it this way in verse number nine. Everybody with me? Verse number nine says this, but now after that you have known God or rather are known of God, how turn ye again? He says, how could you make this turn? How, how could you go back and, and turn uh, again to the weak and beggarly elements? We'll see what that word means in a moment, but basically he's saying, how could you go back to the elementary things of religion? Whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? D did you catch it? He said, you're, you made a wrong turn, and you're turning back into bondage. You're turning back into captivity. It's reminiscent of the children of Israel when God set them free in the book of Exodus. When they were uh, liberated and, and liberated from Pharaoh, they were set free. And what did they want to do? They started complaining. They said, this isn't what we thought it was going to be. It wasn't the ideal situation. They thought it was going to be a little bit easier. And so they said, hey, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back when things were easier in slavery. Now, we can read that and think that sounds uh, absolutely absurd, but in the moment, they thought it was easier back then. It says in Numbers chapter 14, verse number 4, and they said one to another, let us make us a captain 
and let us return into Egypt. They said, hey, let's go back. And I thought about that, and I thought so many followers of Jesus, they start strong, but they don't stay strong. They start on fire for God, and things are exciting, but then when there's some bumps in the road, all of a sudden, we are tempted to turn back. It's kind of like when you're first falling in love. It's easy to fall in love, right? Uh, when you're first dating and uh, when you're first dating and falling in love, it should be easy, right? You, you kind of naturally want to write love notes and you naturally want to uh, do nice things and go out of your way to show affection. It's easy to fall in love, but how many of you know it takes work and intentionality to stay in love? And, and a lot of followers of Jesus, they start strong, but they don't stay strong. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. No man that has his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's hard to have forward motion with backward vision. It's hard to take steps forward when you're constantly looking back. When I'm looking back at a past failure, when I'm looking back at a past success, when I'm looking back at a, at a relationship in my past that brought me down, when I'm looking up back at a past sin or I'm tempted to go back to an old lifestyle before I met Jesus, that, that seemed pleasurable. And I'm tempted to go back when things were more convenient. And I'm tempted to go back when things were a little bit easier. And what I'm saying today is we need some followers of Jesus that would have a mindset that says, I'm not turning back. Hey, the cross is before me. The world is behind me. Though none go with me, still I will follow because I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. That ought to be the heartbeat of this church. That ought to be the heartbeat of every follower of Jesus. Then I'm not going to look back. I'm going to continue to move forward. Philippians 3.14 says this. Paul was excited and he was saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to leave that which is behind behind me. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to forget those things which are behind and I'm going to keep on taking steps forward and keep on moving forward. And so we come to Galatians chapter four and Paul says to the churches at Galatia, you started out well, you were taking steps in the right direction towards grace and, and towards the love of God. But what made you turn around? And now you're heading in the wrong direction. You turn back. And so from this passage, what I want us to see this morning, if you want to take some notes, is I want us to see four ways that we can avoid turning back. Four ways that we can stay committed in moving forward in the calling that God has given us. Uh, four ways. Number one, are you ready today? Anybody else ready today? Number one is this. Determine to trust God's timing. We have to determine to trust God's timing. If we're going to keep on moving forward, we have to trust in his timing and not our own. Uh, notice it in verse number one. It says this. Now I say that the heir, now an heir is someone that is legally, uh, uh, legally bound to an inheritance, someone that is going to legally receive an inheritance, that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, even though he be Lord of all. And so what that, verse, what that verse means is Paul's using an illustration in the time. If you are the heir of an inheritance and you are legally going to receive an inheritance, uh, you're not going to receive that inheritance until you come of age, until you're old enough to receive that inheritance. If you're a child, you're not going to receive it. And so he says, even though the child might be Lord of all, even though he might receive everything, he might receive that, that power, that position, that prominence, that inheritance, he might be the recipient of that promise, but until he comes of age, he is no different than the servant in the household. Everybody tracking with me so far? 
And so he said, even though he be Lord of all, uh, until he comes of age, until there's the appointed time of the father, uh, he's not going to receive that inheritance. Verse 2, he says, but is under tutors and governors... And we talked about that for a moment last week. The schoolmaster, uh, uh, if someone was underage, they would have a tutor or a governor that kind of went with them and kind of help, helped them make sure that they did their work and that they uh, were where they were supposed to be. He says, until the time appointed of the father. And so what I want you to see is there was a specific time. There was a, a specific time appointed by the father where the child would come of age and he would uh, transition into adulthood. For example, in Jewish culture, that age is 12. And uh, that's why uh, there would be a celebration of the bar mitzvah. And uh, there would be a celebration, a coming of age when a Jewish boy uh, makes that transition. In Greek culture, uh, the age was 18. When a boy turned 18, he would uh, cut off all of his hair, and he would give that as a sacrifice to the god Apollo in ancient culture. And so when he was 18, he was coming of age. He was an adult. Um, in, in different cultures, there was different uh, things that they did. In Roman culture, when a boy was between 14 and 17, they would literally make him take all of his toys and put them in a box, and they would light that box on fire, saying, you are now going into adulthood. Now, in American culture... It's a little different, right? A little bit more subjective when it comes to adulthood, right? We still have men that are 40 years old living in their mom's basement looking for a job still, right? And so maybe it takes a little bit longer uh, for uh, men in American culture to, uh, you know, grow up uh, from that. But what we see is there was a specific time, a specific time when the child would come into adulthood. Paul was using this as an illustration. Is everybody tracking with me? He was saying there was a specific time, okay? Now, now that we know that, notice verse number three. It says this, even so we, now he's going to transition and talk about us now. So just as in ancient culture, there was a specific time. He said, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now the word elements, it simply means this, elementary. Okay, And so he says, in time past, before we knew Jesus, we were in bondage to the elementary things of the world. It literally carries the connotation of just the ABC, something very uh, simple. Uh, my daughter, Blakely, right now, she's not yet in kindergarten, and, uh, uh, but she has an older brother and an older sister, and so she is learning her ABCs. And uh, she loves to sing the ABC song, and we got a video of her singing it the other day, and I brought it this morning for us to see Blakely singing the ABCs. So let's check this out for a second. And I don't know if you caught it at the end, but she said at the end, Bible. And, and we asked her, why did you say Bible? And she said, because it's for church. Like, of course, she's going to add uh, Bible at the end there. You know, that's cute right now for Blakely's age. But if she's still singing that after she graduates high school, how many of you know, that's a little weird at that point. Okay, like, okay, it's not cute anymore, Blakely, right? And what Paul is saying is you started out strong churches at Galatia, and you learned about the grace of God and the love of God and how you've been set free. But why is it now that you're going back to the elementary things? Why are you turning back to the elementary things of the law? Why are you going back to an old lifestyle? You're going backwards instead of forwards. That's what he's saying. Now, uh, now he's going to say this in verse number four, and this is where uh, it gets real significant. Notice verse number four. It says this, but when the fullness of the time was come, and so just like a father appointed a certain time when the child would come of age, when he would transition into adulthood, Paul says, now, when the fullness of time uh, was come, verse number four, that God sent forth his son, Jesus, 
made of a woman. Now, at first glance, that might seem like an odd statement because everyone that's ever been born was born of a woman. But what this was in reference to was the virgin birth, that Jesus was born of a virgin, made uh, of a woman, made, uh, the last part of verse 4 says, made under the law, that Jesus voluntarily and necessarily submitted to the law and fulfilled the law, living a perfectly sinless life so that he could go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice. Now, Paul says, when the fullness of the time was come. Important phrase, the fullness. Now, that word fullness in the Greek, it means uh, play Roma. And this morning I brought with me some bananas, and I'm just going to take one. Thank you, Daniel. And uh, the word uh, play Roma, it it carries the idea of, of the perfect timing. And it talks about even when a fruit is completely ripe and ready for the picking. And so uh, just as a fruit, when it's, when it's the perfect timing and when it's just ripe and you want to pick it like this banana, it's yellow. It's not too green. It's not too early. It's not uh, too bruised. It's not too late. It's perfect. We can enjoy this uh, banana right now because it's ripe, right? And, and that's the idea of the fullness of time. And what Paul is communicating to the churches at Galatia is God's timing is perfect, that God does not make mistakes when it comes to timing. Now, a lot of times we question God's timing. And we wonder uh, why God is taking so long or why God is moving so quickly. And a lot of times we think that God is moving too slow when maybe we're just moving too fast. And so often we question and we wonder about the timing of God. But I want to remind you today that God's timing is not our timing. The Bible says this in 2 Peter 3.8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. See, God's timing is not our timing. And uh, maybe today you are struggling with God's timing and maybe you are uh, waiting for a new job. Maybe you are waiting for uh, a sickness to uh, be done with. Maybe you are waiting for a wayward child to come home. Maybe you are wondering why God has you in the season that he has you in. And so often our struggle is that uh, we don't question God's capability We just question his calendar. We believe that God is able, but God, why are you taking so long? And God, why am I in this season? And God, uh, why are you doing the things that you're doing in this moment, in this time? And what Paul is reminding us is that God's timing is always perfect. And that God sent forth his son at just the right moment. Uh, God sent his son at just the right moment for three different reasons. First, He sent his son at the right moment religiously. The Babylonian captivity had come to an end, and that means that the Jewish people had messianic expectations. These expectations were at an all-time high. They were looking for a Messiah. And so God came at at just the right moment. Uh, God also uh, came and sent his son at just the right moment because this was the right time prophetically. If you read in the Old Testament, there were dozens and dozens of prophecies concerning uh, the birth of Jesus Christ and that he came at just the right moment. And so it was the right time religiously, it was the right time prophetically, but it was also the right time culturally. Alexander the Great had spread the Greek language to the known world, and that meant that the scripture was readily available and easily accessible to anyone because it was available in the Greek language. We also know that during this time period, the Pax Romana had just been signed, this famous Roman peace treaty, and that meant that this was a relatively peaceful time. And so God sent forth his son in just the right time because God is always on on time. 
And his calendar is not always our calendar, and it doesn't always make sense to us, but I want to encourage you today, those of you that are in a waiting season, just remember that God is always working behind the scenes. God told uh, Noah to go and to uh, build an ark, and uh, that a flood was going to come, and it was 120 years before it started to rain. God told Abraham, you're going to have a son. And he told this to Abraham when Abraham was 75 years old. Abraham did not have Isaac until he was 100 years old. And uh, we see all throughout Scripture time and time again that, that, that these men and women of God were waiting on God's timing. And if this morning you are in a waiting season, can I encourage you to keep on moving forward, to keep on sowing even when you're not seeing, to keep on trusting God and taking each step by faith for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. I want to encourage you. There is a due season for you. A due season. A lot of times we can see the due season in someone else's life. I see how it's working out for them. I see how they're having children and building a family. I see how they're getting a new home. I see how they have a new career opportunity and it's their season. But I want you to know God has a due season for you if you will stay faithful. And God's timing is not our timing, but we need to determine today to trust in his timing when the fullness of the time was come. Charles Spurgeon said this, the great clock of the universe keeps good time and the whole machinery of providence moves with an unerring punctuality. God is always on time and we can trust him today. I love what 2 Corinthians 6 2 says, for he saith, I have heard uh, thee in a time accepted in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And if you're here today, if you're watching online and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there can't be a better moment. Today can be the day of salvation for you. Behold, now is the accepted time. This moment today is for you. It's a gift from God, and you can receive Jesus as your Savior and know that you have an eternity settled in heaven forever. And so today, if we're going to avoid turning back and we're going to keep on moving forward, we have to determine to trust in God's timing. Here's the second thought today. Number two, recognize your place in the family. So determine to trust God's timing when the fullness of time was come. But now we have to recognize our place in the family. And I hope that you came ready to be encouraged today because these are some encouraging verses that we're about to read. I want you to see verse number five. It says this, to redeem. Everybody say redeem. He says to redeem them that were under the law. And so to redeem. Now, the theological word here is redemption. It's a beautiful word. It's a doctrinal word. It's a theological word. But when Paul wrote this letter, this was not necessarily a theological word. When Paul wrote this letter, this was a commercial term, redemption. We have to remember that when Paul wrote this letter, there were upwards of 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And so there was a slavery that was rampant. And when someone wanted to go to, let's say, a slave market in Rome, uh, they were able to go and purchase a slave's freedom. And when someone would go and pay the price uh, for a slave and set them free, that process was a commercial term called redemption. And so what Paul is saying is that God has redeemed us from the uh, curse of the law. He has purchased us back out of that slave market of sin, and he has set us free. Is anybody thankful today that God has set us free, that he's purchased us back? We are redeemed from the curse of the law. This is wonderful news uh, today that we can be set free from sin. Ephesians 1 7 puts it this way In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. But then the verse goes on and it gets even more encouraging. Notice it in verse, in verse number five To redeem them that were under the law, 
that we might receive the adoption of sons. Everybody say adoption. Adoption. This is a wonderful truth that will radically transform the way that you view God. Some of you today walked in the room with a skewed perspective on what God is. And when you understand the theological term of adoption, it will completely change the way that you view God. Because God is not out to get you. God loves you with an immeasurable love. And we will never fully fathom the the amount and the level at which God loves us. He has adopted us into the family. Now, J.I. Packer, he said this. He's a theologian that said, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Now, uh, is it okay if we go a little bit deeper this morning? Now, there's a lot of terms when it comes to our salvation, and I believe it's important for a follower of Jesus to be able to identify and understand some of these terms. Uh, We have terms like redemption. We just talked about to purchase back, to set free, redemption. We have terms like regeneration. How many of you have ever heard of the term regeneration? It means to be born again. We're born again into God's family. We have terms like justification. And we've talked about justification many times. Justification means to be declared righteous. That, that God as a judge looks at us and because of what Jesus did for us and because we have Jesus' righteousness placed on our account, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of God and therefore he says, you are declared righteous. You are justified in my sight. Isn't that one? wonderful news, uh, that, that we have been justified and declared righteous. But then we have this term adoption. And the term adoption refers to our place in the family of God. And so not only does God declare us righteous as a judge, God loves us as a father. And so God is not up in heaven just out to get us and always frustrated with us and always upset with us and angry with us. God loves us as a father. We have been adopted into his family. And because we've been adopted, we have all the rights and privileges of a fully grown adult son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are adopted into the family of God. And because we're adopted, we also have access. We have access to God. Notice what he says in verse number six. He says, and because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, uh, the word Abba, it is a, it's an intimate expression. It, it's, it's of a Hebrew child literally saying, Daddy. If you go to Israel today, you'll, you'll hear little children saying, Abba, Abba, calling out uh, to their uh, father. And because we're adopted into the family of God, we have this access to God. We can call him Abba, uh, a father. We have this close access, verse 7. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And so we have this beautiful access to uh, God the Father. Growing up, my dad had this unwritten rule uh, for me and for all of my siblings that anytime we wanted to go into his office, we were able to have access. We never had to make an appointment <laughs> to see him or never had to uh, go through all the channels to go and see him. Anytime we wanted, we could go into his office. And so I remember there were certain times when, when I needed a dollar for the snack shop and, and uh, my dad was in the middle of a staff meeting and I would walk right past his secretary and just kind of look at her like, I don't need your permission. And I would walk right in there and I would interrupt that staff meeting and I would go and I would ask my dad for something and he would always take the time to pause and to help me in whatever uh, need that I was experiencing at the moment. And can I tell you today, because you've been adopted into the family of God, you can boldly approach the throne of grace. You don't need to go to a certain place or to a certain person, wherever you are, whoever you are. 
are, if you are a child of God, you can go to him and you can cry out, Abba, Father, in your time of need. And he promises to hear you and he longs to hear from you. And so this speaks to our privilege as, as followers of Jesus that we are God's children. Yes, we've been redeemed. Yes, we've been regenerated. Yes, we've been justified and declared righteous. But aren't you thankful that we have been adopted into his family and that he loves us with a great love? This is what Paul is saying. Romans 8, 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. We don't have to be uh, fearful in life and afraid of everything that's going on and afraid of our standing with God. But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. Martin Luther said this, let the law, sin, and the devil cry out against us until their outcry fills heaven and earth. The spirit of God outcries them all. Our feeble groans, Abba, Father, will be heard of God sooner than the combined racket of hell, sin, and the law. He bends his ear towards his children. And so this is a wonderful reality that we have to understand today about our position in the family of God, that we've been adopted, that you are no longer a servant, you are no longer a slave, you are a son, you are a daughter of the King of Kings. See, a servant has a master, but a son has a father. A servant is poor, but the son is rich. A servant obeys out of fear, but a son obeys out of love. This radically transforms the way that we live when we understand that we're adopted into the family of God. And so today, determine to trust God's timing. Recognize your place in the family. And number three, uh, we have to learn to take advantage of inconvenient seasons. Take advantage of inconvenient seasons. Are you still with me today? Notice verse number nine, verse number eight. Verse 8, he says, How be it then when you knew not God? So he reminds them of their life before salvation. He reminds them of their past. And I think the reason why Paul's doing this is because the Galatians were getting kind of haughty. They were getting kind of proud. And they were thinking, look at what I can do. And look at these uh, religious works that I've done. And they were talking about baptism and circumcision and all these Old Testament rituals that they were kind of falling back to. And it filled them with pride. And so Paul is bringing them back down to earth a little bit. And he says, hey, uh, remember in time past. Remember before you knew Christ, verse 8. But uh, how be it then, when you knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Again, he's saying you made, you made a wrong turn. Now, verse number 10. Ye observe days and months and times and years. Again, this was referring to religious activity. And he says, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. He says, you're, you're making me fearful that all of my work and time and energy that I've invested into was all in vain. He was saying, I'm fearful that you're, you're, you're losing ground and you're not moving forward. But then he's going to talk about two things, and I want you to see it uh, briefly. He's going to talk about his pattern, and then he's going to talk about his pain. Okay, everybody still with me? His pattern and his pain. Okay, let's look at it in verse 13. He says, you know, or excuse me, verse 12. Brethren, I beseech you... Be as I am, for I am as ye are, and ye have not injured me at all. He says, be as I am. What was Paul saying? He was saying, follow my example. Follow my lead. Paul was a strong, godly leader, and he was saying, hey, you can follow after me, not because I'm perfect. Paul called himself the chief of sinners, not because he was uh, perfect and sinless, but he says, hey, you can follow my example. Did you know that God has placed men and women in your life that you can look to as a, as a tangible example that you can follow in life? It doesn't mean that, that, that people are perfect, but it means that God has gifted to us leadership. He's gifted to us pastors and leaders and godly men and women that we can follow in their footsteps. Now, some people say, 
Some people say, I'm never going to follow a man. I'm not going to follow. I'm not going to follow some human person. I'm never going to do that. Well, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ so that you can have something to look to. He, uh, Philippians 3.17, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so uh, as ye have for us an ensample. He says, identify and mark some people in your life that you can say, you know what, I want to follow in their footsteps. There ought to be some people in your life. I know that there's some people in my life, some men and women that I look to that's, that I can think, man, I want to emulate how they are a father, how they are a parent. I, I want to emulate that person's humility. Uh, I, I want to be more of a parent like that person. I want to be a leader like, like that person. Not, again, that they have arrived at perfection, but they're setting a right pattern that we can follow in as we all follow Jesus. And so Paul says, uh, here's the pattern. But now he's going to talk about his pain. Now I want you to lean in for a moment. Notice verse 13. He says, you know how through infirmity of the flesh, what he's talking about here is sickness, infirmity of the flesh. You know how I struggle with my health. Paul's getting real practical here. He's talking about his health. I struggled through an infirmity of the flesh, verse 13, and I preached the gospel unto you at the first. Uh, So Paul is now going to kind of uh, bring up his past and how he even went to Antioch in the southern region of Galatia, why he even went there in the first place. And the reason Paul went there was because he got sick. You can read about Paul's first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13, and he went through Perga. Many commentators and historians believe that Paul uh, contracted malaria uh, because during this time period, malaria was very common in Perga. And so Paul traveled through Perga, and then he goes and he says, I had to go to Antioch, and I had to just wait there because I was sick. And Paul was struggling a great health battle. But while Paul was sick and battling this sickness, what did he do? He didn't just sit on his hands and say, man, this is just such a detour. This is such a bummer because I'm sick, and I can't go where I wanted to go. Instead, he said, you know what? Hey, I'm here in Galatia. It looks like there's some churches that need to start in Galatia. And through his sickness, he went and started these churches. And Paul said, because I got sick, you got saved. Uh, Paul said, you know what? I'm going to take advantage of this inconvenient season. And I'm I'm not going to pout about this season. I'm not going to complain about this season. I'm going to allow God to take this infirmity and transform it into an opportunity. And I'm going to ask that God would see lives changed and that families would be restored even in this inconvenient season. I want to encourage you today, when you find yourself in an inconvenient season, when you just can't connect all the pieces and it just doesn't make sense to trust God because he's always working behind the scenes. Paul had this sickness. He might have had malaria, but what he really got was a ministry. And God was going to use him in a powerful way to start these churches, even in a season of sickness, in a season of inconvenience. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, a trial, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. See, it takes great spiritual maturity to say, you know, I'm going through a health trial, a sickness, this pain. It hurts, but I'm believing that God can use this for his glory. I'm believing that God can use this pain as a platform to show forth his glory. And this was Paul's heart. Acts 1-7 says this, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. We're not always going to understand the season that we're in. And guess what? That's not our job. The book of of Acts says that's not our job to understand the seasons. It's our job to trust 
God that he has a purpose in the season that we're in. And so to take advantage of those inconvenient seasons. And this leads us to our fourth and final thought today. Number four is this. I want to encourage you. If you want to keep on moving forward and not turn back and not go back to an old lifestyle, number four, cultivate a gracious spirit. Cultivate a gracious spirit. See, so often when we get trapped in religion and religious thinking, we start to become very proud and even dismissive of other people. I don't go to those movies. I would never go to that party. I would never dress like that person. I would never tweet that on Twitter. I would never do that. I, I would, and we start to get up on a lofty religious perch and start taking shots at other people. And what Paul is going to say is, yes, we want to live a life of holiness and godliness, of course. But we have to work hard at keeping a gracious spirit in the process. Notice verse 14. He says this, in my temptation or my trial, my sickness, he's talking about that sickness that he had in Antioch. He says, in my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despise not. Now, this is interesting. Whatever sickness Paul had, we don't know for sure. A lot of people think it was malaria. Some people think it was an eye disease. We're not exactly sure what was wrong with Paul in this moment, but he had some sort of physical infirmity. And whatever it was, uh, many people believe that it was grotesque. It was repulsive. Because Paul said, when I was sick and when I came unto you, you didn't reject me because of my physical infirmity. There was something about Paul's physical appearance that was repulsive. He was sick. And he says, when I came to you with a sickness, you didn't reject me. You showed grace to me. You were kind to me. You still love me. And I think we have to be very careful today to cultivate a gracious spirit and to show kindness to other people that don't look just like us. See, I think one of the, one of the major tragic side effects of COVID is that we have skewed our perspective on human beings. And now we view people through the lens of sickness. They might get me sick. Rather than viewing people with an eternal soul that God created in his image that he loves. Don't lose your ability to be hospitable. Don't lose your ability to be kind. I'm not saying put yourself in a dangerous situation. I'm not talking about if you have an underlying condition to compromise that. I'm talking about working hard to be gracious and hospitable and loving to the people that are in your life. Paul said, I had, I had some sickness and many people uh, thought it was repulsive. They didn't even want to look at me, but he said, you didn't do that. You were gracious. You accepted me. You loved me. Notice he goes on in verse 14. He says, you didn't reject me, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. You treated me like I was an angel. They were kind to him. They were gracious. But now notice verse 15. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? Essentially, Paul says, what happened? You treated me like an angel. Now, what's going on? What happened? Verse 15. For I bear record that if it had been possible, you had have plucked out your own eyes for me. He said, I know that you love me. You would have given me your own eyes if necessary. What happened? You lost your graciousness. He says in verse 16, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? See, because truth hurts and because truth is confrontational, a lot of times we avoid that truth or we avoid that confrontation because it stings a little bit. And Paul says, now am I your enemy all of a sudden because I'm telling you the truth? They lost their ability to show gratitude and to be gracious and they had become hard and they lost their joy. 
in the middle of the uh, mid-1800s, there were uh, two ships that collided in Lake Michigan. And I, I believe it was the Lady Elgin and the Augusta, these two ships that came together and, and uh, they collided. And many people were uh, uh, tossed into the sea. Many people were, were drowning. And there was a ministry student at the time named Edward Spencer. And he decided to go out and to save as many people as he could. And he swam out and uh, he would grab someone and he would swim back with them and bring them to safety. And then he would go back out again and he would grab someone. He would bring them in, into safety again. And he saved many lives that day. And because of it, he permanently damaged some of his own health going into those freezing cold waters to save lives. And it was reported that at his funeral, someone spoke at his funeral, and, he, and they talked about that story, that the kind of person that he was to go out and to save people. And they said at his funeral that not one of the persons that he saved, not any of the people, ever came back to him and thanked him for what he did. No one ever said, thank you. And I tell you today that we live in a thankless generation, in a, in a generation of entitlement, where I deserve this and you better give me mine and what are the benefits, what's in it for me and, and uh, hey, hey, you better be kind to me, you better give me what I want. And Paul was saying to the churches at Galatia, what happened to your gracious spirit? You, you received me like an angel and you loved me, but now all of a sudden you're treating me like an enemy. They lost their ability to be gracious. And many times, the longer that we grow in our relationship with God and the more experience that we have in church and, and, and the more times that we've been burned by the church, we get a jaded perspective and a cynical perspective that says they're just out to get me and become very hard. And we lose our ability to show grace and to be gracious. Paul says, what happened? He says, continue to cultivate that graciousness in your life. Notice verse 17. A few more verses today and we'll be done. He says, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. He says, they zealously affect you. They're, they're passionate about winning you over. They're passionate about, uh, about, he was talking here about the Judaizers. If you remember the Judaizers, those were the religious experts that came and said, it's not about grace, it's about the law. You have to obey the law if you want to be saved. And we know that that is completely against the gospel. The gospel is the free gift of God, uh, that we can be saved uh, by grace through faith. Well, the Judaizers were saying, no, 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 you have to obey the law. And he says, they're zealously affecting you. They're passionately trying to win you. They're being really kind to you. They're being really nice to you. But how many of you know that not everyone that is good to you is good for you? And the Judaizers, they were being real good and they sounded real nice. But Paul says, they're, they're teaching false doctrine. And then he goes on in verse 18. And he says, but it is a good thing. It is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. I love that verse. I could preach a whole message on that verse. He says, it's good to be zealous and to be passionate about a good thing. Can I tell you, it's a good thing to be passionate about a good thing. Uh, last night I was watching the NBA finals. I watched just a little bit of the game. And you know what everybody had in that whole arena? Passion. From the people that were sitting on the sidelines on the bench, to the people that were playing on the court, to the people that were commentating, to the people that were in the stands, you know what they all had? Passion. You know what they all did? They cheered for their team. You know what they all did? They got excited. Hey, I think that's great. Cheer for your team. Be excited. But don't come to church with your arms folded to say, go ahead and try to bless me. Hey, we ought to come to church with an open heart and an open mind that says, hey, I'm here to worship. I'm here to praise. It's a good thing to be zealously affected by a good thing. It's a good thing to be passionate in a good thing. I'm not talking about a personality. I'm talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who's worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. He says it's a good thing to be zealously affected in a good, it's good to get passionate about something that matters. And I believe that the King of Kings matters. I believe that this book matters. And so I'm not gonna apologize for being excited about what God's doing in my life and what God's doing 
in our church. Notice verse 19. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Paul's saying, man, it's like I'm going through birth pains. He says, this is, this is rough having to talk about this with you because you're going back, you've turned back. And he says, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. Paul literally says, I stand in doubt. I just don't know what to do. I don't know what else to say. He says, I've done everything that I can. I stand in doubt of you. I wish I could communicate this more clearly, Paul says, but I'm struggling to even find the words. He says, I'm passionately pleading with you to not turn away and to not turn back from the calling that you have received. I want to close today by telling one of my, one of my favorite stories and we'll be done there was a man named R.U. Harvey. And during the California gold rush, he went and he found a gold mine and he was searching for gold. And he found uh, uh, much gold and uh, he was very successful. And then he kept on digging, kept on digging and he didn't find anything else. Kept on digging, kept on digging, didn't find any more gold. And so he decided to sell all of his equipment, all of his mining equipment, all of his machinery to a garbage man. He sold it to him for dirt cheap, just said, here, if you wanna keep on digging, you can. And that garbage man took that equipment. He went and hired an engineer and they went and started digging. And just three feet from where Harvey stopped, they found the largest run of gold in that mine. That man made millions of dollars in gold. And the coolest part about that story and the most amazing part about that story is Harvey went on to be an extremely successful businessman selling insurance. And he made millions of dollars selling insurance, much more than he would have made if he would have found that gold. And everyone always asked him, Harvey, what's your secret? How did you become so successful in business? And how did you make so much money selling insurance? And he said, every time, that I thought about quitting, I would just tell myself, I'm three feet from gold. Every time that I thought I should just give up, I would tell myself, I'm three feet from gold. Can I tell you that when the devil jumps on your back and says, hey, you should just give up, you should just turn back, you just might be three feet from gold. And so keep on serving even when you're not seeing because God has a due season in your life. Hey, let's leave this place with a renewed passion and energy even when we're discouraged and even when things don't seem to be lining up that says, you know what, I have decided to follow Jesus and I'm not turning back. I don't care who's with me. I'm pursuing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's stand together this morning.